Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Turning your Bibles to 1 Peter, we will continue our series. As you know, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We let God speak for Himself. We don't speak for Him. We don't make nothing up. We let the Bible, which is made up of 66 different books written over 1,500 years on five different continents, and how it all comes together, woven perfectly like a hand in a glove, and it speaks forth the very words of God. And so our job is not to impose things on Scripture, but to let Scripture speak to us directly. That's why we do what we do on Sunday mornings. So the Bible is God's voice, right? It's God's will. It's God's plan. And it's for us to trust in because it's God. It's God speaking to us. So as we look at this passage, we're in chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. And I want to read this through real quick, and then we'll go back and explain it. Verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 4 says this, Dear friends, now remember, he's writing to people that have ran for their lives, right? So they, they, they followed Jesus. You know, a group of people were following Jesus. Then they, uh, they were persecuting Jesus, saying bad things about him, trying to trip him up. And Jesus started with 500, then 120, then 70, then 12, then one. That was John with two ladies, Mary and the mother, Jesus Mary. And so what happened is in all of this persecution, uh, Jesus was speaking love. He was healing the sick and they still hated him. Isn't that interesting? The one who came to love them is the one they began to persecute and to torture and ultimately kill. And sure enough, 2,000 years ago, they nailed him to a cross, which he willingly put himself on the cross. He had let this happen to him. Anytime he could have called legions of angels to rescue him, but he died on the cross for you, for a purpose. And then the disciples had ran and they were scared. They were hiding. And then one of the disciples said, look, I'm not going to believe he rose from the dead unless I can put my hands in his wound. And then Jesus comes walking through the wall. And he turns to doubting Thomas, right? How would you like it to doubt one time and then that becomes your name for 2,000 years, doubting Thomas? Not a good gig. So he, he says, Thomas, get a load of this. And Thomas falls on his face and says, my Lord and my God. And these guys who saw the resurrected Christ, over 500 people, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon these guys and they turned the world upside down, quote unquote, from the Bible. They turned the world upside down. And the same guys that tried to kill Jesus, you would think that these guys, after the resurrection, they would change their mind, right? Man, he rose from the dead. He's God. They still want to kill him. What? And they began to go after the Christians. And they chased Christians out of Jerusalem up into Asia Minor. And Peter is writing to these guys. And it's in, in the year probably 68 AD, maybe 65 AD. And what was going on then was very, very interesting. A dude by the name of Nero, you ever heard of him? Nero is in Rome, and he sets Rome on fire while he plays the violin. At least we're told he played the violin. The violin wasn't even invented until the 1300s, right? But he did play the lyre. Why? Because that's what he was. And so he was explaining and telling everybody the Christians did it. So here's what Nero did. Nero got the Christians, put tar and pitch all over them, and he said, you guys like fire? Stuck them on a pole 
and lit them on fire, and they lit the roadways of Rome with Christians. So here's what he's saying. Watch the language. Dear friends, Peter writing to those people, dear friends, when the fiery ordeals arises among you to test you, don't be surprised by it. I mean, he's speaking their language. Exactly what they're afraid of, exactly what they were facing. And he said, these fiery ordeals coming around you. Here's what he says. As if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, rejoice, so that you may also rejoice with the great joy at the revelation of his glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And that's, that's a different word. This ridicule is very different from the suffering that he mentioned earlier. So from the fact of them sticking you on a pole and burning you to the point of them calling you names, don't be surprised. The diabolical demonic plot that's been after Jesus is now after you. That's what he says. Let's keep reading. None of you, however, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or even a meddler. In other words, look, if you're suffering because you've done bad, uh, that's on you. And notice what he puts in this category. Murder, stealing, thieves, evildoers, and then meddlers. People who don't mind their own business. You know, people who are, who are just gossiping. He puts them in the same category as the murderers, the thieves, and the evildoers. Here's why. Because all sin is the same in God's eyes, right? And that's why we always say, you can probably complete my sentence. That's why we say around here, uh, no one in this room is better than who? Anybody else. The only way to be qualified to be a part of Glen Meadows is to admit you're not qualified, right? We all are equal at the foot of the cross. And so he goes on, don't be surprised if you suffer because you've done bad things, but... Verse 16 says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify God with that name as a Christian. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will come out for those who disobey the gospel of God? Verse 18, Jesus, uh, Peter is quoting a proverb and he says this, and if the righteous is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? And verse 19, just like last week, when we looked at last week's uh, little paragraph that we went over, he, he uses the last verse to summarize everything he said. So here's the summary of what we're talking about. Verse 19, so those who suffer according to God's will should, in doing good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. So verse 19, for those who suffer according to God's will, should entrust themselves to a faithful creator. That's our point. In fact, you say, Brother Mac, then why don't we just go home if that's just the point? Okay. Thank you for that temptation. However, let's go through the text and let's just explain it. Here's the first thing you need to know. Number one, you and I should prepare for persecution. You and I should prepare for persecution. We don't have that kind of mindset. We think in America we have all the freedom we want. We should be able to worship God in any way we want. But the reality is there is still that diabolical plot against those who follow Jesus. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you saw a little video about uh, the, the voice of the martyrs, right? And what's happening. You and I, I think you probably have, you've met people who have been persecuted to heavy degrees because they follow Jesus. Jesus even said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. 
And so he's talking about a whole other identity that we should prepare for, but he gives two reasons. Number one, there is a reason for persecution and for trials. And you're thinking, man, how could there be anything good out of bad times? How can anything good come out of this diagnosis or a shattered relationship? How can anything, not that God causes it, but let me tell you, according to this verse, everything is a test. The good times is even a test. You get a big bonus, what are you going to do with it? It's a test. The bad times, it's a test. What are you going to do with it? Here's what happens in tests. I remember in college, I remember I had a professor, a really smart guy, and he'd give these tests. And he would write a test, and I remember it happened all the time. It'd be, hey, in... um, in Meyer's book on page 243, there was a footnote. Can you describe that argument? And we're like, man, you're sick. What's wrong with you? Why would you do that to us? And we would complain. We say, why, why are you doing this to us? And he says this, because I want everybody to fail every test. And we're like, man, you're not right. And he'd say, no, no, listen to me. Because if I design a test that everybody fails, I know exactly how much you know. I don't know that you know some answers. I know how much completely you know. And I'm like, man, that's not a, that's pretty cool. I understand that, but that's still sick and wrong. (laughs) Why did you do that? So other people make tests. And some of you who are professors or in teachers, you make tests where at least 50% of the people pass because that makes you look good, right? And so, so there are some kind of tests to see if you'll fail. There's another kind of test to prove that you know. There's, there's one, when you manufacture something, you, you take this object, this product, and you see its limits, but sometimes you just test it to prove that it'll do what you say it will do. And so when you're tested, it's when God is finding out what you're made out of. He's finding out what's in your soul. Not that He causes the circumstances, but He watches and He sees. So here's what He says. Here's what the Bible says. Dear friends, this is among you, arises among you to test you. So what I'm looking at right now, say five, 600 people, every single person is in a test right now. I see five or 600 tests going on right now in your life, whether with affluence, whether with a trial, health, relationships, emotional, you're in a test. And so here's, you have an option. It's like somebody who's out in the water And when you're in a trial, when I'm in a trial, we grab for things to stay afloat. And some of us grab things that sink. It's no good. Some of us grab things that'll save, like a life jacket. So if you're in the midst of a trial and it's hard times that are coming, you are tempted to grab the things that sink, like anger and rage or self-pity or all these other things. Or you can run to the Savior and rest in Him. Trials are in my life to make me turn to God and to see that I'm pure. But also he says this, um, when you're in a trial, don't be surprised and don't think that you're the only one going through it. That's what he says. It's universal. Trials are universal. Persecutions are universal. All through time and all through places, it's universal. But not only do we prepare for persecution, but also we're to have a new view of persecution. So verse 12 makes a statement. Verse 19 summarizes it, and everything in between, these verses are the reasons why we do this. So we're to have a new view of persecution. Number one, persecution is mimicking our Savior. Look, instead, verse 13, as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah. So there's a, there's a fellowship there. There's a communion. 
Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, listen to this. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to him in his death. So it goes back to that verse where Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And that's the case. You're, you're mimicking Christ. Now, look, it's, it's a famous saying for everybody to say, you know, do what Jesus would do. Walk like Christ. Be like Jesus. You hear that all the time. And rightfully so. It's good. But take it to its full meaning. To be like Jesus is to receive some persecution. It, whether it's physical persecution or whether it's just the ridicule that you receive. Anybody who stands up for Christ, someone somewhere sometime eventually is going to call you out to see if you truly mean what you mean. I remember in uh, Bible college, we had a professor, his name was Dr. Maldivon, and he was somewhere from the Eastern Bloc, and he had a funny accent. Remember the count on Sesame Street? Yeah, he talked just like him. And so when he would come into class, we'd say, hey, can you count to 10 for us? That's just really awesome. <laughs> just teasing. Um, no, it's true. But, uh, so here we are, we're in class, and it's one of the first days of class. And he's like, hey, it was a class on evangelism, because that was his subject, he's how, to, how to convince people Jesus is real. And so he's saying, have any of you ever been persecuted for your faith? And, you know, some guys say, yeah, man, we were, we were at a place, we were telling people about the Lord, and they just got really mad, and they, they you know, pushed us outside. And I was knocking on doors one time, and somebody shut the door in my face. And, or, or I had some friends. And when I got saved, when I confessed Jesus as Lord, they kind of abandoned me. And then the whole time we're talking, he unbuttons his sleeves and he starts rolling them up. Another guy would share something, another guy. And he was just unrolling his sleeves. And eventually we looked at him. And he had scars all over his arms. Scars coming from the former Soviet bloc. And he stood there. And he said, you know nothing of real persecution. And I dare not take my shirt off. It'd make you sick if you saw my back. It's cursed persecution is real. It is serious. It may just be some ridicule, or it may come down to that. In fact, you all know, we've talked about the book of Daniel, we've talked about the book of Revelation. We know what's coming even in this country. I watch what they talk about at committee meetings in the White House or in the, where they're making all the laws, and you're saying, oh, no, don't make that one. Oh, they just passed it. Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen next? What's, then they're going to pass this law. Then they're going to pass that law. And next thing you know, it's coming. I remember one time I was with my roommates. We were going to go share the gospel in this park somewhere. We were by some trees. There's a picnic table off to the side. And I walk up to these two guys. And one guy pulls out his knife and just goes like that. And he sticks it up to my throat. And, and I went ahead and just said, hey, we're here to talk about Jesus and all. And started talking about the Bible. Next thing I know, they sit down. We get to share the gospel with them. And my friends later came up. They were my roommates. They came up. They go, dude, he pulled a knife on you. And I said, no, he didn't. He said, yes, he did. And I'm like, I never even saw it. It didn't even come about. And I'll show you that verse and how that happens. So persecution is like mimicking Christ. Persecution also is enhanced glory. Look at verse 13. In verse 13, he says, instead, you're sharing in the sufferings of Jesus so that you may also rejoice, check this out, with great joy at the revelation of his glory. So a little bit of persecution now, a whole lot of glory later. That's what he's saying. And then also, if you're ridiculed for the name of Jesus, 
Watch this. For the name of Jesus, you are blessed. Watch. Because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. As if in that moment, the knife's pulled out. I don't even notice. All I've experienced was the peace of God. You know, you ever want to, you want the peace of God in your life? Maybe be willing to be persecuted. I'm not saying be a jerk. I'm not saying poke people in the eye. Don't hit them over the head with a Bible. But just name the name of Jesus in an unpopular area. See what happens and see if the peace of God doesn't come. Do you know our forefathers had conversations about this? When, when things were really bad, let's say up in Germany, let's say in, in China, let's say as the gospel was moving across the world, listen to what they would do. They'd say, hey, um, according to this verse right here, there's something miraculous going to happen when you are ultimately being killed for your faith. So how about we do this? Just to affirm that happens, why don't we come up with a signal? I mean, because you, you don't know what it feels like until you're dead, right? So you don't, you don't know what it's like until they beat you or when they set you on fire or they whip you to death or stone you to death. You don't know what it's like. So if one of us, is that's happening to one of us, why don't we give some kind of signal that shows that the power of God is upon us and that way it'll encourage us all. And they actually had this conversation and they actually came up with a sign. It's called the martyr sign and it's just this. And it means this. There's no pain in the death of a martyr. You know who raised their fingers? The Oxford martyrs. Three of these guys, right where they're being burned, they'd go, bam! Michael Sattler, when he was being drowned, bam! Like this, it don't hurt. There's nothing they can do to us. They can't steal what's inside of our soul. They can't persecute us. They can't shut us up. Why? Bam! The presence of God is there. That's what happens. And then also, not only do we know that, but persecution is a privilege, not a punishment. Man, anybody who knows anything about Scripture and anybody who knows God and anybody who's experienced this, you and I have the opportunity to share, so many, share with so many people that are hurting over this one thing. And that is we tend to believe that bad things happen to bad people. And if I'm going through bad lost my job, got a bad diagnosis, somebody abandoned me, we tend to think, oh no, God's mad at me. Why, did, why is God treating me like this? And that is so wrong. Listen, persecution isn't a penalty, but a privilege. Trials aren't always a reflection of your soul it's a reflection of a diabolical plot against you and against me. And so many times people would come and talk and say, man, I'm going through this and this is what hurts and it's this diagnosis and why has God abandoned me? And you get the chance to open up scriptures like this and say, oh, dear child, listen, it's not God abandoning you. It's God entrusting you with what this trial is going to do in your life. And it just changes your whole complexion. And then also we see this. So persecution is a privilege and not a punishment, but also persecution brings purity. So what do you mean by that? Listen, when, when you're being made fun of or you're just being ridiculed, it's like a line in the sand. What are you going to do? Are you going to cower down? Are you going to wimp out? Are you going to run? Are you going to say, you know what? I'm living for Jesus and I'm making my stand, and I'm just going to speak the truth in love no matter what it costs me. 
Let me ask you this question. Has it ever cost you anything to stand up for truth? Or do you always cower back? You know who cowered back? You know who fell? You, let, me, let me name somebody. Say, Brother Mac, don't call him out. No, I'm calling you out. Listen, well, not you, but him. Someone who failed at the time of standing up against persecution, just completely wimped out. You know who it is? Peter, the guy who wrote the, this passage of the Bible, right? So here Peter is, his best friend, I mean, the one he loves, the one he's following, is being beaten, and he's over there warming himself up by the charcoal, and a little girl comes up and says, uh, aren't you with him? He's going, no, 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 man, you got the wrong guy. He completely wimped out, and then he did it again. Another guy comes up, hey, your accent, it's Galilean. You've got to be with that Galilean. And he goes, no, I told you, I don't know him. And then it happened again. Hey, didn't I see you in the, in the temple court with Jesus? I said, no. And then what happened? Cock-a-doodle-doo. That's right. That's right. You've read it. You read it. Yeah. And then now he's writing this book, telling us to stand firm. What happened? What changed this guy? Uh, listen. Your failures cannot compete with the power of the resurrection of Jesus, right? There is nothing that can compare to a good resurrection, right? When Jesus rose from the dead, it's all changed. Everything is over. So there he is, the, the one who failed Jesus the most is there on Pentecost, having received the resurrected Lord and Savior, the power of the Spirit in his life, and he goes proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus because he was compelled. He was pressured from the inside out, and he said, man, you cannot shut me up. In fact, check this out. A couple chapters later in Acts, he just gets beat. He's thrown in jail. He gets beat with rods. He gets whipped with a cat of nine tails. He walks out and he says this, I'm so glad I was counted worthy to suffer for my Savior. That's a, that's a mind changer right there. That's a game changer. But why is this so important? I'm not saying don't pursue persecution. You don't pursue it. You don't even want it. I don't want it. I never want it. But when it comes, you're ready. And watch what he says here. This is really powerful. Here's why. Because persecution is evidence that you will escape the ultimate judgment. Watch this. Verse 18. And if the righteous is saved by difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? <sighs> Here's what he's saying. If you're standing up for Christ and you're being persecuted or ridiculed or made fun of, it shows that you belong to Him because, here's why that is good, because to not to belong to Jesus, to not ask for forgiveness, to not follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there are ultimate consequences that you cannot bear. You and I can't bear this. He's talking about damnation. He's talking about God's judgment forever and ever and ever. Here's what this means. This means that Jesus knows this judgment 
is coming to those, for me, for all of us who have sinned. And he went to the cross to die on the cross for the only reason, because hell is real. If hell wasn't real, then Jesus never would have had to die. He never had to have been sacrificed. But since hell is real, Jesus died in your place and my place. That whoever, listen to me, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's forever. Listen, man, uh, if you believe anything about love, you believe anything about the teachings of Jesus, believe this. Jesus talked about hell in teaching form, in story form, and by example. He made it very, very clear it is real. But so, so is His love and His offer of free grace to anyone, whosoever may, shall come. It don't matter who you are. You know what this church was made up of here uh, back in Peter's days, 64, 68 AD? It was made up of former Jews, former Greeks, former pagans, people who used to pay attention to the horoscope, all kinds of nationalities. It didn't matter who it was. These were people who came to know Christ and lived with Him. And you know what? We got same kind of people here. We got people here that really like Kanye West. We got people here that like Conway Twitter, right? <laughs> you didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> we do. That's just a reality. You may like Conway West, you may like Conway Twitter, but I tell you what, you better be planning on singing the glories of God when you see him face to face. Amen. You may be a never Trumper, an impeach a Trumper, or Trump 2020. You may be a Democrat. You may be a Republican. You may be a Libertarian. You may be a Socialist, but don't be that. You need to know that Jesus is the one who rules, and He is the one that has everything under His feet. So we have all kinds, all kinds of people. You may wear a cowboy hat. You may wear a DOT helmet. You may wear a bonnet. You may wear a bandana. But whatever, I hope you get a crown of life to put on your head someday. That's what I hope. You may have some other attachment. You may be a Ninetales. You may be another club. You may be in the Kiwanis. You may be in the Rotary. You may be in the Masonic Lodge. But I'm telling you, you and your lodge and your club doesn't stand before God. You alone will stand before God. And I pray He's your identity, right? That's what we're all about. You may, you may dig deep holes. You may put up towers. You may build great things. You may be involved in demolition. You may make pies. You may be a pool cleaner. You might be a painter. But I'm telling you, if we don't serve the Lord Jesus Christ, it shows that we don't love Him. It's the reality. Man, the truth is this. Some of you are even going through trials now and persecution. We've talked about it. At work, at home. Man, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Remember our brothers in China, the ones we know, we've talked to. Pray for them. Man, they're going through some hard times. All over, the, all over the world, in many different places, please pray for our brothers and sisters as they stay faithful. Pre please pray, according to this passage, that we are to be bold because He rose from the dead for us. And if there's anybody here and you've never You've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never given Him your life. He's asking you to right now. Don't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow doesn't exist. Don't worry about the past because the past is gone. 
Today is the day. Right now is the moment. And this is when we give our lives to Christ. And this is where He meets us. You may say, Brother Mac, I'm already good. No, you're not. I'm just telling you. No, you're not. Not in God's eyes. You may say, Brother Mac, I'm so bad I can't. No, you're not. Nothing can compete with the mercy and forgiveness of God. Salvation is available to everybody. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenmeadows Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.